0: You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast, we sit down with Dr. Elizabeth Shu, who is a passionate global transformative leader and public company board member. She is a C-level executive with 20-plus years of experience and a track record of technology, product, business strategy, executive, and consumer satisfaction success. She is the CEO and co-founder of a to c Leadership Group, an interactive online education and coaching platform. And she has served as the group CTO at CP Group, a 65 billion revenue international conglomerate, CTO at BMC Software, head of global engineering, project management, professional services, IT, and customer engagement at a few public companies. On today's show, we sit down and we talk about how does one get promoted fast? What would be examples of calculated risk at one's job? How does a CEO grow with the company? with the opportunities they come across, what are the extraordinary benefits of the C-suite and boardrooms, and how does one go about planning and balancing all aspects of one's life? All right, now let's begin this week's episode of The Silicon Valley Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to The Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Dr. Elizabeth Hsu, I'm super excited for today's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Now, I want to thank you for being a guest on our show. I also want to thank Hanhai, our venue sponsor, for allowing us to record. But before we dive deep into the questions, can you give us a little bit of your background, a little of your career up until this point?
1: Sean, this is a great honor for me to be here. I really appreciate the, the person who introduced us. If you look at my career, I would say that I spent time in China, got my master's and bachelor's degree in science. I wanted to be a, a rocket science, so I studied space physics. But However, my passion changed during the, during the graduate, school, graduate school time when I was in Beijing, so I decided to become a fashion designer. So I came to the States, wanted to become a fashion designer. However, when I faced the challenge of being a fashion designer, left my husband behind doing research, I decided to pursue my career in science. So I got my bachelor in computer science and I had a PhD in atmospheric science. People felt like I did not follow my passion of being a fashion designer. However. I found something that is much deeper, which is making things. And I channeled my passion from making beautiful clothes into making software that is more useful and to really help business. So that's why I started my career as a computer science. So I started my career as a developer at IBM. So within two years of time, I found out that I had a passion in bringing the team together and really lead the team. So I became a manager. And then a few years later, actually, within the 10 years of my graduation, I became a C-level executive at a public company. Wow. So after that, I went through a lot of challenges. So I became a CTO at a billion-dollar company and, again, a CTO group CTO at the CP Group, which is a by $65 billion company. So now I'm on the third phase, third phase of my career, which is uh, CEO of my own
0: company. This is quite the journey you've been on from fashion to well, PhD physics to publicly traded companies, CTO, and not just, you know, tiny little companies mean, 65 billion. These numbers are pretty astronomical. And now you're third leg of being a CEO. In this journey that you've gone on, I mean, one thing I'm really curious about is the power of communication. How does one communicate? I mean, you've had so many different roles through your career. How does one go about communicating effectively at each level?
1: So, Sean, this is a wonderful question. I I think this is the most useful question because communication is such a powerful tool. Not only you can demonstrate what's your own intention, but also to have a two-way street, to have a communication with the party you try to communicate with. I will say that the empathy is the number one skill to really see the other party's issue, problem, challenge, motivation, all sorts of things. And then you can step into their shoes, or I call it the virtual box. You step into their virtual box, and you can really internalize their problem, their challenge, their motivation, and use your own skill, experience, best practice, and combine their problems, not only just combine, to solve their problem. And then you can propose a win win solution. So, when you communicate at a win win level, you will find out that you can not only just uh, communicate your thought, your intention, you would communicate back to solve their problem, add value to them. And I think the communication is not broadcast. Broadcasting is one way street, but communication is a two way street that, 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 that you understand them, they understand you, and together, You can achieve something called a synergy. One plus one maybe equals two or ten or a thousand. It really depends on how much you can collaborate. You can understand each other's problem and then bring the value, which is much bigger than just individually each party can contribute. When we became a C-level executive, we constantly felt that you have to have this multidimensional thinking, meaning that uh, when i'm in the in a room with a customer with my team i have to build some virtual I call it virtual position one for my team one for my boss one for my second line manager one for my sales marketing and a customer so when we are when we were discussing a problem we can step into each person's position and try to come up with a common acceptable uh, solution Sometimes people think that's uh, just uh, compromise. It is not compromise. It is the win-win solution that brings everyone together.
0: So this win-win solution that brings everyone together to communicate it. I mean, I've noticed sometimes engineers have trouble talking. I was a mechanical engineer in undergrad. and You were studied physicist. How important is communication skills with ending up as the CTO of a $65 billion company?
1: Oh, that's... Uh... A billion-dollar question. <laughs> the first time, one of my peers, who was the SVP of HR, told me, Elizabeth, you should become a CTO. I was, why? He said, you have a capability to simplify things and communicate back to the people that, who can understand. He, I asked him, give me example. He said, one time I remember that you were talking to our CFO. He asked you, what is the service-oriented architecture? And you took, uh, you just basically brought a power strip and just say, the service is like electricity. You plug in, you use it. If you don't plug in, you don't use it. And you don't charge the customer. Customer will plug in when they use and customer can choose to plug in different kind of a socket to get the different services. He said, that moment, I knew that you have the ability to really simplify things and also communicate in the very plain language for other people to understand. And also, you're not only just look at the technology, you always ask the question, how can we use this technology to solve business issue? Can we use this technology to solve customer pain? Can we um, work together with the customer, come up with a different kind of use cases or a different kind of a usage of our product and can really solve uh, their problem? I would say that there are many skills and leadership skill is always good, but the ability to Simplify things to communicate in a very simplified way with the multi-levels is a key to become a C-level executive.
0: That's great information. You mentioned leadership skills. Can we dive into that? How important are leadership skills with growing one's business?
1: Well, growing one's business, when you're talking about growing, that means you cannot do everything all by yourself. If you do everything all by yourself, it's one-man show that you can never scale because you have the upper limit of 24 hours a day. And even though you you cannot even work 24 hours a day. So the leadership is about motivating people, about identifying the the goal, identifying the strategy, motivate people and then bring the necessary resources together and to really channel everyone's energy to move forward. Of course there will be challenges, during know. The, there will be challenges on the way, but the leadership will provide the new, adjusted direction, the priority, and get all the possible resources for them to move forward. I would say leadership is different from management skill, because management skill is to try to make sure that everything is doing perfectly well. Perfectly well. But the leadership is about, is this the right direction? How can we accelerate and move forward on this direction? Not just doing things perfect, but we want to make sure to do the right thing. And the manager is all about do the thing right.
0: Can you be a good leader without good communication skills?
1: Well, Sean, that's a interesting question. How can you become a leader, effective leader without communicating? I think it's impossible because... If you cannot communicate with others, the only person you can communicate is yourself. Then you can only lead one man army. That one man army cannot form a powerful business. Even if you look at those social media influencers, their number one skill is communication. So no matter what you do, if you want to lead, you want to go beyond your own scope, you want to make any dent outside yourself, you need a communication skill. You need the leadership
0: many of our listeners are entrepreneurs or startup founders mm-hmm. or investors for the entrepreneurs say they were to sell their company and get acquired by a big corporation how would one of these employees go from that startup mindset to now a corporate mindset how does one make that transfer what should they know
1: sean this is a great question a hundred million dollar question because i went through quite a bit of an A M&A and the integration the biggest challenge for the startup employee is they're so used to the small scope. They don't really see the overall impact to the company uh, which acquired them. So they try to be independent. At the very beginning, autonomy is so important. But Once you get into the bigger company, the number one mindset change is you need to look at the end-to-end. The end-to-end is much bigger than your small startup. When you look at that, you will say, how can I bring my service? to the much bigger company? Can I connect with a different department? Can I make sure that they understand my product? They understand my service. So together we can sell more to the customer base and then we can add more value. So that's the number one thing is to get off of your cocoon to work with a different kind of department within that company that is maybe 10X or 100X bigger than you. And having that kind of a communication skill to really understand the big scope is the number one challenge we had before. It needs a lot of coaching to really understand the other department we what we did in the past is we let those department people to introduce what are the possible channels what are the possible way of using this service and together they will do the brainstorm session Once they do the brainstorm session they will find out huh we can use the software in a different way or we can really amplify the value of the software. That's why the large company like Cisco, Google, they acquired such a small company with a great technology. Through their channel, the value of that the particular small company, one product, became such a market phenomenon. So if you can communicate well with the company, with a different part of the company that acquired your company, your value of your company, the growth of your company will be amplified. And also you as a small startup can take over a lot more resources from that large company, not only just sales channel, marketing and more resources doing R&D, et cetera. So it's a wonderful ability to communicate with the company that acquires you.
0: Okay, so you got acquired, you're working on your communication skills. Still, you might have three, four years left in some type of earn out or some type of contract. How do you get promoted in this new corporation during that time or maybe even past that? So in case you now say, hey, actually, I want to stay at this corporation for the next five, 10 years of my life, but I don't want to be at this level where we got acquired. I want to become the top dog. I want to go from the CEO of my startup to maybe they were VP or senior management when they got acquired to now I want to move back up to CEO. How do they go about getting promoted in a big company?
1: I had several examples that when we acquired a company and there's really awesome people, either they're architects or they're first line manager. And what we did is like I did was really mentor them. There are several ways of mentoring people. One way is to bring the best practice from that small startup and to really amplify it in my large organization. And then during that process, we let this person lead this new initiative. Let's see, bring your testing strategy out to this new company. And then through that, you can really give them a stage to play. So, in all, um, if you summarize, how do you get promoted into the next level? It's about learning the skills that is required at the next level. It's not about doing the same thing again and again, doing 3x of what you are doing. It's about understanding what does it take to go to the next level. For example, if you are a first-time manager, you want to be a GM. The GM needs the business sense, need you to understand the business and understand the marketing. You need to have a more engaged to the customer or to learn the sales skill, all those kind of things. So if you stay in your cube and do the same thing, you will never get promoted.
0: So you're saying if I'm at my cubicle and I'm doing... Three times the amount of work is that person next to me, but that person next to me is thinking about learning the skills for the next level. That person's going to get the promotion and not myself.
1: Exactly. Think about it. If I want someone like a GM, I'm not going to hire a programmer who only knows how to do program to be the GM because I need someone who can communicate outside to work with the customers. And if I hire that uh, programmer who's a 3x productive than his peer, then I put this person on the Peter's principle.
0: Peter's principle. What's that?
1: That is something called you promote people, promote people, promote to the level they are incompetent. They are no longer competent because they don't have the skill at the next level. So sometimes people think, oh, it's not fair because I did all the work. The other person get a promotion. Yes, you did all the work because because of all the work you did, you are very, very productive. Doing more work will make you a productive team member. However, you will be further stuck in your current role because you don't have time to learn the communication skill, to spend time with the customer, to write a demo, to do a demo, to record a video, to talk to the world about what you have built because you just focus on. But however, some company, they have a dual track. Even though you do a lot of uh, detailed work, you can be promoted, but you will hit the ceiling if you don't learn how to communicate as a technical leader. So you will never become a fellow. You never become a chief architect because chief architect and a fellow also need the leadership and the communication skill. To summarize, if you really want to get to the next level, first of all, understand what does it take? What are the soft skills? What are hard skills you need to acquire? And then you need to work out a plan, promotion plan with your boss. Why is that so important? A lot of people think, you know what? I just need to get promoted. And then I showed up and my manager's um, door to say, manager, I want to get promoted. And the manager said, huh, you want to get promoted? They got shocked. And they said, you know what? Probably takes a year. You were like, I want to fire this manager. I'm going to quit to go to another job. You know what? When I was a manager, it took me six nine months or even 12 months to come up with a plan. How can I showcase my employee? Because I'm not the only person to make decisions. My peer, my manager, sometimes my third line manager, we together will ask questions like, is John ready for this next promotion? And the further question is, has John demonstrated the next level of leadership, communication skills, blah, blah, blah. The reason I need six months, nine months, and 12 months is I need to come up with a plan. I want to showcase John in front of my peers, my second-line manager, my third-line manager. So when we start to have that promotion conversation, it's not like Elizabeth said, John's ready, John's ready, John's ready. It's like, yeah, I had that the presentation from John. That was fabulous. Oh, John solved the customer issue. Oh, he was brilliant in front of customer. And then you don't even have to... Really, sell your employee because you sold their employee in the last six months, nine months, and twelve months, and then they will say, "You know what, John from your department is ready for the
0: promotion." So, how important is it to have your your management above you be your champions to move up in the ladder?
1: It's absolutely the
0: most important thing.
1: And you know, a lot of times, people think, "I have done so much." I said, "Do you know that?" Let's see. One time I was having a lunch with someone. I was using my plates. Let's see, if your manager is expecting this much from you, you did this much, but however, the overlap is so little, your manager would say, John, you haven't fulfilled your task. I'm I expecting this, but you say, I did this much. Well, we have a mismatch between my expectation, our goals, and what you have done. And then as a manager, if someone said, I did this much, but I only fulfill the part of the requirement expectation, I would think, what are you doing? Are you wasting your time? You're wasting company's resource. Actually, you're not even a good employee. We should get rid of you because you're not working on the necessary tasks you're paid to do.
0: Interesting. Okay. Here in Silicon Valley, so many people, they spend just one year at a company and then a year at another and a year at another. In their mind, they think, This is the best way to move up the ladder is to keep jumping from company to company to company. From your experience, is that the best strategy or is the best strategy to get your management a step above you to help promote you within a company? How do you move up the fastest?
1: It depends. Why does it depend? If you jump one year, another year, but you follow the one person. Each time you jump, you get a bigger role. That's the best strategy. There's so many people, they carry the whole team around. They go, they went to different company. They really uh, transform the company as a group, as a well-oiled, well-integrated uh, group. So if you're lucky, you follow one leader who has that ability to transform company and the businesses, follow. That's the fastest.
0: That's, that's interesting. Yeah, you have your own champion that-, that...
1: Ready-made. Uh. practiced well-oiled. And then you guys know, you don't have to go through the regular team forming process, building the trust. You're a group that is trusting each other. You know that you fall through so many battlegrounds. You knew the best practice. You don't even have to talk much because you knew the best practice among this group. So that is the best way to move forward.
0: Changing the, the subject just a little bit, Critical and strategic skills. Can you define these?
1: Yes. <laughs> okay. The critical and the strategic thinking is two very different skills. The critical thinking is you ask all the questions, you find out what is the most important piece of a problem you need to solve. Strategic thinking is now I know this is the most important thing that blocks us, and, and how can we solve this problem more efficiently and faster? So those are. Two completely different thinking. And if you say, I'm I'm in the critical thinking process, sometimes people think, why are you so negative? You're asking all those impossible questions. But if you really articulate, I'm going to ask the next 10 questions for us to identify the root cause of our problem. Please bear with me. And I suggest all of you to ask some questions. What's the background? What is the cause? And what are the uh, possible pieces? You break that s- humongous problem into smaller pieces. And you use your critical thinking, ask questions, and, and find out, you know what? This is the blockage. For example, you have a pain. Someone has a pain. Oh, you found out that they have the kidney stones. That kidney stone is that problem. It's not a heart, heart attack, not some other things, right? And then now, strategic thinking is how can we get rid of that kidney stone without breaking the rest of your, your body part? I hope that makes uh, clear about the critical thinking and the strategic thinking.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to go back to the job promotion and that topic. I mean, well, one, you know, Silicon Valley, everyone's moving careers so often, moving, well, actually moving their family completely to other countries, every place chasing things. From your experience in all the roles you've had, where are people making the most mistakes in their career evolution?
1: Well, there are so many mistakes and it really depends on people. If you are following a group, they may jump from here to here and go into a different country. Then we can put that one aside because not many people will have that kind of situation, right? But if you look at the people who go around and if they are doing things that is just random, they just look for a bigger paycheck. Then they will get into the situation like they change job very often and the people do not see a thread in their job. They cannot link them. It's, it's like if you want to have a pearl necklace, you need to make sure those pearls look the same, not like randomly, right? And if you do things randomly and not following one thread, and then you will be in trouble. Sure. The thread could be... Or the theme could be technology, could be type of a business, could be type of the roles, could be anything. But you need to make make sure that you have this underlying theme that when you tell your next employer, you have to articulate, why are you taking so many jobs? Why are you doing this thing? It's not like you are the person, you just decided, you know what, I want to go for another ride. I want to go move to the city. I just think that's interesting. And when you're in that kind of situation, nobody would trust you because they think that you're irresponsible. And also the experience and the, the core competence, the skills you accumulated through this, all kinds of jobs are random. When they are become random, you cannot form your superpower. The superpower that either is technology, communication skills, soft skill, but most domain knowledge. If you don't have a huge amount of accumulated superpower, you cannot break into the next big job. The people, the the employers who want to hire the next big star, they need those big stars who will have a lot of very, very strong superpower that can lead the team, can lead their company to break into new grounds.
0: So highly targeted, highly focused, but at the same time, wouldn't they also have to be able to take some calculated risk? Could you give us an example or can you share what calculated risks might be or, or could be?
1: I would say that anytime you want to calculate risk, you need to look forward five years, 10 years. Look back, say five years later, if you look at this role, what are the, I see the skills I accumulate from there? Uh, I wrote a recently, I wrote a blog about you need to define your graduation day on every single job. What does that mean? That means you need to develop your own curriculum. Like what I'm going to learn, who am I going to learn from? at this job? What kind of experience I can get? And then after that, look at uh, how can I get into the next job? Could be the next level job within your company, could be a job in another company. And some people say, is that selfish? I say, no, this is called actively managing your career, that you don't do random things and then then your career becomes accidental.
0: So you're moving companies possibly... Or you're in a company and it sounds kind of a little bit of Game of Thrones, you know, strategizing this, strategizing that. For all this, how do you maintain relations?
1: Relationship is so important. A lot of jobs are hidden. And those hidden jobs, such as earlier we said, you follow a leader. This group has been integrated so well. They work so well. They have a synergy. And that kind of a relationship really carry you forward much faster. So if you look at the people failed, to build a relationship are the people that who only focus on themselves. They look at what I've accomplished. I need this credit. This, I did this, I did this, I did that. And if we look at the fault, they will say, this is your fault. This is your fault and when we have those kind of people people think they're self-centered people think they're too aggressive who will call on those people when they have another opportunity I would say that the the best thing is to share the credit with others right like Sean you helped me this and we we need to tell the people that Sean helped in helping this yeah write an email to Sean's managers Sean has been instrumental in helping others without Sean copy Sean let Sean know that I truly appreciate that and I have some uh, fruit I brought to Shang, say, Shang. this is the fruit from my garden. And I just want to show you uh, my appreciation for you know, helping me out two days ago. Take Shang to, to lunch to have a coffee. I mean, those are the different ways to build a relationship. And uh, as a leader, you not only build a one-on-one relationship but also to really enhance the relationship between your employee with the company. For example, we used to ask a lot of uh, employees to work overtime. Instead of us send them a thousand dollars bonus, we send them a five hundred dollars special award. We pay the tax already. We say, you can take your family out for dinner. And then write a note, let our family know Sean has done a great job. We really appreciate that. And uh, this This is the dinner we want to show our company's appreciation. You as a family, you support Sean, that you give us so much of a free time for the company. And that's also a a way to build a relationship with the employees. But that's beyond the personal relationship. I think the personal relationship is to show your appreciation. And also when you're starting to consider to build a relationship with upper management, you need to consider one thing called the reverse mentoring.
0: What? Well, we'll, well, first off, I want to say thank you. And for any of our listeners, if you want to repurpose any of those compliments to Sean, go ahead and do so. Uh, open rights for that. But okay, reverse mentoring. What, what is that?
1: All right. So let's see. I was a CTO. We had a couple thousand people in the organization. I was busy with a different kind of thing. If one of the employees say, Elizabeth, so this is a new technology we could use. May I get 30 minutes of time? I demoed it that technology. I would be so thrilled, right? That's called a remor- reverse mentoring. They use their uh, superpower. They use their core competency to fill in the gap of a mind, which I didn't have time to study. And, and they use that. You can bond with people very easily because next time I'll see hey, Sean, this is another technology uh, challenge. Would you please um, give me a quick tutorial? So you go there, you, you learn and then you, you show it to your senior executive, and then gradually you become their advisor, technology advisor. Anytime they have some challenge, they'll think about Sean. So next time they move to a different job, they'll think, you know what, I should bring Sean with me. So that's how you build a relationship, by offering, by adding value to the relationship. I think anytime people think, how can I get out of this? What can I get out of this relationship? Once they think that way, the other party is not stupid. They can sense that. They can sense that if they sense this person only takes things out of this relationship, next time you call them, they will not pick up the cause. So I think anytime we want to look at a relationship, we need to think about that. What are the two things, three things, four things we can contribute to this relationship? And of course, you're going to not like build a relationship with anybody. You need to strategically identify the few people you really want to hang out with because the people that you're hanging out with really influence your future outcome because they can serve as the role model. They also can clarify some of your confusion when you're confused, right? I would say that choose the right relationship, contribute, contribute, make it a win-win.
0: So with that, very powerful information there. What are the habits if I wanted to become a good CEO? What are some of those habits that I would need?
1: Number one, manage yourself. Usually the CEO, the number one challenge they have is their own ego. So manage your ego, tame your ego to really think about strategically. We as a company, what are the future market? How can we connect with the customers? Where do I get the resources? How can I find the strategy how can i motivate my people right because ceo is the person because the buck stops there that all the problems stop right there so you as a ceo you really need to think about it Not the ceo will do everything but how can i channel everybody's energy to the right direction how can i bring more resources to make this force much bigger more powerful how can I connect with a customer, identify the most important, most challenging areas for our customer that I can add value to bring my service, my products to solve their problem? Right? There are so many skills, but I think self-management and also focus on team, get the right priority and make sure that you automate your business, make sure your execution is flawless. And another skill is simplify. Do not try to build so many layers, so many complex procedures for your customer. Think about for your group, right? Think about it. how can I simplify my business? How can I simplify my offering? That the people don't have to click, 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 and then find a solution. How can I just have one click? We used to have this challenge, like, how can we reduce one click? Can we have a one click and get to that uh, service that customer wanted? Shorten the path between your service and the customer pain.
0: And say I'm the CEO of a company, early stage, I'm able to build relationships, my communication skills, I feel are good, leadership, but the company grows. and new skills, new challenges you're going to face, you're going to have to change. How does one go about changing with the company as it grows? What's the hardest person to manage?
1: It's still the same, same person. When you grow your company and you find out that your skill set has the mismatch with the scale of your company. So the scale of your own set of skill sets have the mismatch, have the gap between the fast growing scale of the company. Find a mentor. Get a set of uh, board members or advisors who can guide you, and to move. Another thing is some of the CEO just say, you know, what? I'm going to be the CTO, hire a professional to become a CEO and to really run the business, right? I think a lot of times, just like Google, the Google founders they knew their gaps in skill, they hired Eric. Eric came and then managed the Google and grow the Google significantly.
0: But as a CEO, don't you want all those perks that people don't know about? And uh, actually, could you kind of explain some of the, the hidden benefits of being a CEO?
1: There are so many great things that people really don't know about a CEO. Of course, they have a stress, they have a they don't have a privacy, but a lot of uh, CEOs, they have the perks of uh, being in a special social network. That special social network, I call it the, the inner circle. Because they are so powerful, they have a lot of resources that so they can quickly bring a new business, a new service for. Them. That's definite. And also that includes their family member too. The kids, the kids can go to the good schools or can get a good internship, right? And they actually can bring a lot more opportunities for their family. And then they don't even have to ask. So a lot of people wanted to offer the service in order to build a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the things. And the social network, of course, you can travel on business class, private jet. You can do a lots of stuff. And you have a lot of assistance. Uh, I used to have a driver, 24-hour driver, have an EA, had a special assistant, operation director, all sorts of uh, people that, who were supporting me. At that time, I felt like doing things very easy. You just tell them and the things get done. But if you look at uh, someone who's not a CEO, someone's a smaller company CEO, you find out, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. I have to do everything. I cannot afford to hire a driver, a, a nanny, and also a secretary at the same time, right? It really depends on our, your scale and uh, the company's uh, scope. I would say that there are many hidden things, but only you enter that inner circle, you will know that the the, on the deeper side of what kind of benefit it will give to you. And then one more thing is the CEO, usually they are, they have a big ego. They have a big passion. Having so much of uh, resources can accelerate their pace to realize all those vision or their vision and uh, their desire, their goals. And they will feel more accomplished. And then they're more confident. And then uh, they're happier sometimes because of that.
0: I mean, how do you manage your personal life, and your business life?
1: Yeah, this is a big question. When I first joined IBM, my manager told me one thing. He said, you really need to have a separation of your personal life and also your career and your business. I said, how do I do that? She said, when I drive to work, I left behind all my family stuff. I'm thinking, what are we going to do today? What are the people I need to talk? Yeah, you know, just really bring my mind from what will be the dinner, what, you know, what are we going to do to volunteer at the school? And when I drive back home, I will switch my gear, try to leave all the stuff behind and drive back home. So you kind of like to have a Zoom, you transition your work role to the family role and then vice versa. But however, during the pandemic, you are living in the same room. You don't have that luxury to change your mindset. It's just really need to have the rule of yourself. Like this is the time. This is a mm-hmm. family life. This is a family time. This is a work time. It, you cannot do things in parallel. If you started to do parallel uh, projects like texting, you look at your email, and then you're having dinner, you're going to ruin both sides. So it's just trying to eliminate the parallel projects between the work. And the family, if you're doing the work stuff, doing the work stuff, 100%. Only the exceptions triggered, whether it's a phone call, anything that's specific. I asked my employee, do not send out any message after, let's say, 8 p.m. Unless something is pretty critical. And then when something critical happens, you need to call me. So we'll have different protocols of communication. When we are in a similar situation, when we are in a different situation. So you really need to compartmentalize your life at work and to focus on that. One more thing is to sleep enough, drink enough water, eat healthy, exercise. Exercise 150 minutes, high intense aerobics or running, etc. Um, yeah, a week, 150 minutes. I try to hike two hours of, uh, during the weekend. I try to run every morning, 20 minutes. And sometimes I do the evening walk and whatever. So exercise and sleep are the two most important things we need to have.
0: Yeah, I noticed over the pandemic, my my workouts, my sleep patterns were all over the place. And it definitely affects you, especially, you know, towards the end of the week, you know, starting Thursday, Friday, you're just like, oh, geez, this this is tough. So moving down your career, worked your way up. CTO of a, one of the largest companies in the world. Now you're CEO of your own company. You're working with people. You're helping them. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing now? Tell a little bit about people, companies you've worked with.
1: I work with uh, people from over 150 companies, people from uh, Meta, Google, Apple, you know, all those companies, Zoom, you know, all the popular companies, we work with them. And some of the companies, we do B2B, like company events. But most of them, my students are here to join my Rising Star coaching program. So we meet with our students from all over the world, actually, Canada, Europe, Asia, and the U.S., U.S., all, all states, we have students. So when we, uh, we meet three times a week and we do group coaching, people first said, group coaching? And some people bought the one-on-one coaching. They found out it's useless. Why is one-on-one is useless? They really love the group coaching because anytime you ask a question, maybe, you know, not 100, but uh, 30, 50 people are listening. When they are listening, sometimes they chime in as well. So when we do this group coaching, it's almost like a shadowing process when I was at IBM. You shadow uh, executive, which was me. And also you're shadowing different people at the different levels. Because my mentees, or the students are at very different levels. Some of them as SVP, some of them are, are director. They ask different questions. So I answer them at a different level. People will think, hmm, this is quite interesting. You gave this person, this advice, you give that person that, that advice. So why this is too different? Because we're solving different level questions. That gave them a chance to get a preview. What's like at a director level? What's like as VP level? And then they really appreciate that. I also teach them a, a trick that don't expose confidential stuff. Although everybody signed a confidentiality agreement, just say, ask the question that using the critical thinking, ask the question about Exactly what a question is all about, not like a nitty gritty, all the details with the confidential information. And then we can talk about the strategy, how to solve that, and also tactical skills, how to solve that at that particular level. And we also have the recorded class. And we, every 10 people, we form a group. We go through uh, simulation. Simulation, we assign people in different leadership level. For example, 10 people, one person plays CEO or lead this whole. 10 people, and CFO, COO, CTO. At the end of the simulation, they will give us, um, like us and uh, the rest of the group, a strategic uh, presentation as e-staff men. So so I think you force people to get into that position, and then they can accelerate their growth uh, process. It's just the whole thing is about the shadowing. It's about the... Simulation, you fake it until you make it. None of them are the CXOs, but we fake them in the real project. They can simulate against the specific company we chose. Some of the times that we simulate real company, actually the CEO, the CMO, they came to the presentation, they actually took the strategy from our students. Very interesting way of doing it. So it's a combination of a recording, live coaching, simulation projects, parallel mentorship among everyone. We together build a great, uh, I call it a career ecosystem that people can help each other. And we also bring different kinds of executives and then give the closed door, inner circle discussion because all, all our students sign a confidentiality agreement. So we have a very, very inner circle discussion that uh, we don't want to let the rest of our world know to really teach the students what is this all about that we're not going to say it here.
0: That's fantastic. And before closing up, are there any CEOs out there that our audience should try to study or take notes from or any references or any resources, books or that our listeners could start today to study before signing up for your courses or your, your university?
1: Well, I have a book myself called The 10 Step to a Successful Career in the midst of a Promotion. That book we are about to publish the second revision. We hope that by the end of the year or beginning of next year, we're going to have that book done. There are so many books about leadership and about how to create a happiness at a workplace. And I would suggest you read all those great books about, uh, let's see, Walmart CEO Sam. And you can read about um, uh, Jeff Bessel in from Amazon. There are so many books about the CEO. I would say that you may have your own. Preference and just choose one, learn their life because their unique journey brings who they are. You're not going to be the same person. But I think the, the most important thing I learned was anytime they ran into the issue, they've been very resourceful resourceful. They are not negative. They never had this victimized mindset like, oh, I failed because this, I did this, Oh, I had this bamboo, uh, I have a bamboo ceiling, I have a glass ceiling. Yeah, just, you know, when those people could never become successful. Only the people say, you know what, this door is closed. There's a window. Oh, well, you know what, there's a weak point. Maybe I can tunnel through it. Oh, where's my jackhammer? And it drills through it or Maybe someone can introduce me person to walk around the block and to open the other door in the other building. So the people who have self-discipline, people who manage their egos well, and people are so tenacious, at the same time, they treasure relationship. The relationship with their employee, with their customer, with their partners, they're trustworthy people and people will follow them around and those type of CEOs are the role models that I appreciate but you might be you might have other favorable CEOs.
0: Dr. Elizabeth, Hsu, this has been a fantastic interview. If anyone wants to find out more information about you, what you're working on, what's the best way to go about doing it?
1: Oh, you can go to our website called a2cacademy.org. A2C meaning A players to number 2 to C suite. So we really help people to We help people advance their career. And uh, my mentor and also my partner, Pat Zimmerman, we are committed to help out 100,000 people in the next 10 years and bring them to the leadership position. We really want to help 10,000 people getting to the VP above at C-Level. So that's our commitment and that's our passion. So my passion kind of uh, went from building and making beautiful clothes to making great software now try to help people to reach their fullest potential that is our goal and our passion for the next 10 years
0: that's fantastic we'll have all that information in the show notes and for all our listeners out there as you take the courses as you move up your careers when your company that you're building is ready to get acquired raise growth capital or if you have some uh pre-ipo shares from you know, a company you're at before, who knows? I'm a mid-market investment banker focused on those things you just said, mergers, acquisitions, growth capital, and secondaries here in Silicon Valley. Reach out to me. You can connect with me on, you know, go to the Silicon Valley podcast website or connect with me on LinkedIn at Sean Flynn, investment banker. And with that, Elizabeth, I want to thank you for your time today on this week's episode of the Silicon Valley podcast.
1: I want to add one more thing. Of course. As Sean has the resource the long, the connection to sell your company, to bring great advisors for you. If you're CEO, connect with Sean because he has the resource for you to bring your company to the next level and maybe cash out your company.
0: Thank you. That was the best ending of any show we've ever had in 136 episodes. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the Silicon Valley and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.